Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Wow. That's not very good. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. Come on. It sh you should be somewhat energized. Passion Week starting. Yeah. So we just started. I love uh, Palm Sunday represents a bunch of starts. Obviously, it's Passion Week. It's largely part of our tradition. Uh, we have started this new video experience called The Village in the Chapel to kind of create more seats. And uh, we have about 250, 300 chairs down there. So there's a whole crew down there that just worshiped with you, right? Um, I don't know if they're the more spiritual, maybe they are. Um, but would you turn to those cameras and say good morning? One, two, three. That's the, we call them the village people. Uh, that's the village people down there. So good morning, village. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. And I, as I got up this morning, uh, Palm Sunday will forever be something for Trish and I th that's really significant. Uh, because six years ago, uh, uh, I started as an interim guy to step on this stage. And, I'll, and the message was, yeah, thank you. I noticed half of you clapped, which, you know, that's, that's okay. Another six years, maybe. No. Um, I remember coming out and the, and the message was, when you're on a dock and there is no boat. You know, often I think we in our faith think that we come to Christ and, boy, he gives us all the things we need to cross the lake. Sometimes, and most often I find in the Bible, God puts those who follow him in a situation that we have to completely depend on him. And I needed to say thank you. I know from Trish and I, but specifically from me, uh, thanks for uh, just, I would say, allowing me to, to live out kind of the gifts that I have. I'm far from perfect. I won't be in another six years, I promise you that. Uh, but God has been so good to our church in six years. And so, man, I celebrate that. And Palm Sunday for me is just a, a great reminder of, of the blessing that God's given us. So you mind praying with me? and. I just want to thank God for that. Yeah, you could clap again. There you go. So let's thank God for this. God, you are a great and mighty God, and we celebrate uh, just the chance that we've been together for six years and then really the, the 58 years for our church. Oh, Lord, you've been good. We just sang about that. You're, you're so good. And God, teach us to, to steward well the resources, the people, and the cause you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Passion Week, which is this is called Palm Sunday, and it, it sets us in motion for a week uh, of talking about the life, this last week of the life of Christ here on earth. And it, it unfolds, uh, as a teacher, uh, a lot of stress and, and tension, because you can imagine if you've done 10 Palm Sundays, well, I've done, uh, I think, come to this holiday, what, 20, 30 times? And as you do that, you kind of run out of angles how to talk about it, right? Uh, we, we laugh and joke about Christmas Eve. You could talk about, I heard a pastor say, you talk about one Magi, one year, the next Magi, the next year. Um, you know, you go through the list. And I understand for many, oh gosh, it's refreshing because you don't necessarily hear that story. And so for me, I, I want to I take a different approach uh, about this Passion Week um, this morning. I, I want to talk to you about a question. But we decided, though, to, I found this guy online, Josh Byers. He's from Indiana. He's a pastor. He does a great job on graphics. So we, 
we wanted to print this for you and give this to you. It is really a, a great tool. And I would just recommend, it gives you the whole week of Christ from the four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It gives you location of where Jesus was, even sometimes toward the bottom. This is for you. Um, this is not necessarily an outline for this morning, but just a great resource. Gosh, I'd encourage you this week, the Passion Week, uh, as to open up your Bible and to look at some of these each day as, as kind of God gives you time to do that. And what a great way just to think about our week as, as we celebrate that. But I want to ask you a question. What road are you on? What road are you on? Uh, there's a great story. that it, It's a true story, and it unfolds um, in, 19, in the early 40s. Uh, a young Japanese man uh, named Hiro was asked to be a part of the Japanese army. And he, as he joined, he got trained in what's called special intelligence gathering and guerrilla warfare. And we know right about, about two years later in the, in the 40s, right around 19, uh, like 40s, early 40s, World War II starts. And so Hiro is sent to an island off the Philippines to gather intel and to perform guerrilla warfare. Well, as we know the history of, the world, of world War II, uh, you know, late, early, what, 1944, 1945, it begins to end and wrap up. But the problem is Hero's been given a charge. And if you were a Japanese at that time, called to be a part of the army, you remember that they would, they would kill themselves. Remember, they were diving the planes, but they would also do that as soldiers. And they were all given these samurai swords that they would kill themselves instead of being captured. Well, the story is, a true story, the hero, before he left, as a young 20, 22-year-old, here's the, what his commander says to him before he sends him to a remote island off the Philippines to gather intel and to, to be a soldier. You are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. You can't kill yourself. It may take three years, five years, no matter how many years, whatever happens, we will always come back for you. This is his commander. Until then, so as long as you have one soldier, you're to continue to lead them. You may have to live on coconuts. In that case, live on coconuts. He says, under no circumstances are you to ever give your life up voluntarily. This is what he leaves with. Well, he doesn't know and he doesn't hear, and the team of people that he has doesn't hear that the war is over, that the Japanese have surrendered. They move into the hills because they start to notice their uh, losing some of their cover, they move into the hills. And when they do, uh, they begin to perform guerrilla tactics for years. Well, leaflets start to get dropped down because obviously in this island of the Philippines, they know the war is over and many of these soldiers don't. Leaflets get dro dropped and some of the soldiers slowly start to defect and go back down the mountain. But Hero doesn't. No way. My commander told me this. This is the path I'm taking. This is the road I'm taking. Sure of himself, we find ourselves all the way to 1975. 30 years. Hero loses some of the older soldiers, and he finds himself alone at age 52, fighting the Japanese war. Up in the hills, collecting intel. And so they had kind of a hunch that he was still alive because they had these they one-off circumstances that were going on with the villagers and there's somebody still fighting us and killing people. And so they had tried to send teams to find Hero. They couldn't find him. But one student decides that he's going to take a journey as a hunch 
that he knows where he's at and he finds him. Sits him down and tries to convince him that the war is over and he's immovable. No way. My commander said he would come get me. The leaflets that were dropped for years were all propaganda. It was a way to, to pull us out of, of hiding. So the student goes back and they find the commander. The commander is obviously retired and done and he works in a bookstore. They ask him to put his uniform back on and they fly to the Philippines. And in 1975, here is Hero marching out with his commander right there on the, on the, on the right, finally realizing it's been over for 29 years. Can you imagine for a moment the reality that would set in that if you just wasted 30 years? 30 years of your life gone. Friends, I struggle when I take the wrong turn and it's going to give me like 30 seconds longer to get where my destination is. Anybody with me? Yeah, you just hate taking the wrong turn. This guy didn't just take a wrong turn. He traveled a road and found that it was a waste. Not only that, shows him handing his samurai sword to Ferdinand Marcos, and he, he ends up surrendering. Now they pardon him because he had killed many people. Think of the pain and the anguish that he recognizes for 21 years. He went down a road that was wrong, misinformed. I think about that in light of this morning. What road are you on? As we, we hit Passion Week, this week that in history, if you were to read Tacitus or any of the ancient historians that are not Christian, they would tell you Jesus lived and walked and did these things. I don't know where you sit this morning about did he really, did he really exist and did these happen? They did. At some point, you have to ask yourself, though, what road are you on? I want to look this morning at his week, but I want to give you a couple interesting facts about Jerusalem. In this time, Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, there literally was this picture that all the roads in Jerusalem, or all the roads in the, in the kingdom, all led eventually to Jerusalem. Let me, let me illustrate how. You see the purple line up here to the left along the coastline, that's in the Mediterranean Sea. That's called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. This highway is, was in the ancients a very popular highway. Even today, you can see that road. That road was for trade routes, and it linked, this is about 150 miles out, it linked the north, the east, the west, and the south. If you wanted to get to any of those places because sea travel was not as popular, you had to walk the Via Maris or the red line, the King's Highway. Now, all these cities in here is so fascinating. Trish and I and some people from here went to some of these, but Megiddo, Megiddo, you had to go through Megiddo. It was on a hill. Solomon built this city. It was, it was strategic because almost everybody had to go through it. Now, if you see Jerusalem set right here in the middle on that crown between these two highways, that meant you almost always had to go through Jerusalem. If you go 300 miles out, you see how it's connecting Egypt, and now you're going to northern Africa. It would connect to the east over here um, in the Asian countries, and then the north as you come around and going west to Rome, and you see that picture now 700 miles out. You can see, basically, that all these roads were connected and went through Jerusalem. Now, a modern map would show you our world, and you could see how at that point, this small little city, Jerusalem, 
was very connected. It was central. Just as a push a pause button here in the moment, just know that God doesn't do things my mistake. Why would he pick this nation of Israel, this land right there? It was central. It could be argued and it was believed it was the center of the world. All roads led to Jerusalem. I also think spiritually, though, this morning, all the roads that we're on in our life today take us to Jerusalem. No matter where you're at in your faith journey, no matter what faith practices, religions that people will practice, as they practice those, they are going to have to travel the road to Jerusalem because in finding and searching truth, you find yourself there in a Passion Week in Jerusalem to answer for who Jesus is. I want to I unpack his week a little bit, and I'm only going to highlight a few things that went on. Your handout has tons of different opportunities to, to read all the things that were going on that week, but I just want to highlight a few. On Sunday, today, is the triumphant entry. entry. The, the Jesus enters into the city on a donkey, and we know that. We know that on Monday, one of the things he did is he cleansed the temple. He walks into this holiest, holy of places that Israelites would have known, the temple, you don't deface that place, and he would have flipped the tables over. On Tuesday, he would, have, he would have spoke against. You know that from Matthew like 21 all the way through 25, he brings fire to the religious of that time, calling them hypocrites. He then goes to what is called Wednesday, and Wednesday is where the Pharisees begin to create a plot, and they find their betrayer, Judas, and they make a plan. Thursday, the Passover feast begins. You find that on Friday, Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus is going to pray in the Mount of Olives, and then on Saturday, he's crucified. Now, why is this important? I want to give you three different perspectives, three different roads that people would have traveled into Jerusalem in this Passion Week, and friends, I think it's ways that we could probably see ourselves meeting Jesus today, these roads that we still travel today. Now know that what's important about this week, this would have been Passover week. And Passover week is very, very crucial in the life of an Israelite, and especially even a Jew today. It comes out of Exodus that remember the Israelites were in slavery to Egypt. Remember the plagues. The last plague is the plague of the angel of death. And what does he say to the Israelites? He says, go sacrifice a lamb. Not like the lamb that's about to die and it's leaning against the fence post and about to go over, like, which one can you afford? He says, go get a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb, sacrifice it and put the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death will pass over. Passover feast has been celebrated over a thousand years at this point. It has become just part of the religious culture. Now they say that Israel is about 30 to 40,000. It's speculation. We can't quite know exactly the number, but roughly 30 to 40,000. They say it could go up to 450,000 people in less than a square mile city. You mean you thought tailgating could be chaotic? It would have been crazy. People camped out getting ready for Passover because it was a pilgrimage, and people took whatever roads throughout the world at that time to get to Jerusalem. This morning, we find ourselves in Jerusalem. Having to face and answer the question is how do we approach Jesus? Let me give you three different kind of viewpoints of how this week would have looked. One is the fan, all right? 
Fans are the ones that, you know, they're social media addicts and they just, it's the hype of Hollywood, you know. It's, it's the one that's popular for a while. And so you could imagine if you had heard in that time, you know, through your Twitter feed or, or your Facebook page, it would have been, Jesus, this guy that's like healing blind people and raising dead, he's coming to Jerusalem. I got to be there. You know, you watched just the Oscars and you saw that all these people just crowding just to watch people walk into a building. Isn't that crazy? That's what people would have done at this time. And it's so great as a fan, like you'd have been, yeah, Jesus is here. And you're looking at it like, why are we cheering? I don't know. You ever seen that at a football game? I, I see that at the Packers Stadium, people jumping up, you know, and they're drinking a ton and they're like, why are we cheering? I don't know. It's just everybody is. Everybody is. I think there's a lot of people that think that way about Jesus. Hey, I'm a fan of him. He's, he's a great guy. Seems like he's doing a lot of good stuff. He'd have been popular on the social media. But then look what happens. Could you see the buzz? Could you see the buzz starting to unfold? He comes into the city. It's a great moment. Then all of a sudden, he's cleansing the temple. Whoa, this is news. You know, the Jerusalem Chronicle. You could see the news article that day. Jesus walks into the temple, and it's controversy now. It's like that famous athlete or star that does something that's like, uh-oh, but it's news. It's feeding the frenzy of news. Social media would have went nuts. Then it's not only ending there, you could see as a fan, you're loving this week because it's gossip central. Because now, not only has he flipped tables, now he's warning the Pharisees. I like to say it's he's, you know, the Twitter probably tweet would have been, Jesus opens up a can you know, on the religious of the day. He, he, he brings it. I probably would have been like that, right? Because these people didn't know Jesus. They just heard of him. There's some claims, but they're not necessarily there. I think there's a lot of people today that are fans of Jesus. The church thinks a good idea. Jesus is a good idea. He seems like a nice guy. Well, then there's the plot, and you could start to hear some of the, 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 the words going around there's rumor that the Pharisees are mad and they're plotting something. And then the Passover feast. Jesus is supposed to be in this room in this house. Could you imagine? Probably people gathered around. I think he's upstairs there. No different than the, the, the Hollywood stars and people kind of gawking and standing around their houses of saying that's where they are and they just wait. And then you have the garden where these fans would have probably followed in. We heard he's praying in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, which really was just a visual sight from the city. We were there. It's not that far. You could look at it. He's over there. Could you imagine people just peeking over the wall? and He's over there praying. He's praying. And then within 24 hours, Jesus finds himself on a cross. And can you imagine the words of all these fans? Well, another one. Another one claimed Messiah, another one as the promised Savior, but they were popular at the beginning of the week, and then they've crashed. It's just another fan. There's another kind of road that week that, that I think some of another group would have taken, and that's really the religious of the time. Israel's religion largely is centered on the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament of the prophet, or, or of Abraham and Moses and and Isaac and setting up the established way that they're to practice their faith and they were to be uh, men and women that were obedient to the law. 
And so coming to, to Passover was like the, the apex or the, the pinnacle of your religious practice. And so you could imagine as they heard rumors that Jesus was going to show up, how the anger started to happen, right? And they start to feel that sense of fuel, that sense of, oh, we got to end this. And he, it would be like somebody walking into our church and turning the crosses upside down and, and spitting as Jesus not only came into the city, but then he starts to cleanse the temple and turn it and these, these Pharisees had to be angered. It's probably what we feel when we watch what's happening to Christians in the Middle East and the beheadings and all that, and you feel that sense of vengeance and justice, don't you? That sense of, this has to be made right. Could you imagine what these Pharisees and religious leaders felt? Who is this Jesus that he defames and defaces the one we call Yahweh? Flipping the tables is just one part of it because then Jesus that week starts to not just warn the Pharisees, he embarrasses them. He embarrasses them and calls them out about being hypocrites, about being dead on the inside. Could you imagine the tension, the rage, the anger that was going on? Yeah, there's a whole group of fans, but there's a whole group trying to fighting that cause for God. We're going to fight for God. We're going to fight for the prophets. We're going to fight for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those who are our founding fathers. And then Wednesday shows up for these guys, and can you imagine the, the energy and the heartbeat that they probably had? We, finally, we found his betrayer, Judas. This is going to, it's going to be answered. We're going to get to have our way, and, and this will finish well. The Passover feast is just probably waiting. They're boiling, and it's all coming together because then he's in Gethsemane. Excuse me, and they know. They know they have him, and they arrest him that night. And then there's another fighter in the garden, right? For a whole different side, we know that Peter fights. He pulls out a sword and says, I'll fight for you, God, and cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, put that away. And the message Jesus is not, this is not about fighting about being right. It's not about fighting for the cause of Christ. And friends, that does not call us for that in Scripture. Friends, we don't have to protect truth. Jesus is the truth. He needs no protection. The Scripture, is, as Paul will say, is fight the good fight. That is in your own soul. I have enough battle in my own life to adhere to truth. Some are fans, some are fighters. Could you imagine the fighters then when he's hanging on a cross and he dies? And it's justice. Those are two roads, fans and fighters. There's a whole other group. That's his friends. Could you imagine this group? This group was hanging around Jesus. They're fishing with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus to Galilee. They're, they're becoming buds, right? He keeps talking about this crazy stuff, and they don't fully get that. They just like Jesus. He's doing some good stuff. Could you imagine when they come to the triumphal entry? You're standing on the side, you're one of the disciples, and they say he had 12, and then about 120 that followed. Could you imagine being there and go, do you know Jesus? I do, yeah, we, we hung out. Hung out for a few years, yeah. I mean, just the, the connection would be so important. And then all of a sudden you find that your friend, Jesus, goes to a temple, or the temple, and flips tables. Not because of business. Jesus says, because you're ripping people off. You're taking more than you're supposed to. It's not a fair exchange. And could you imagine if you're a friend of Jesus? Uh, Jesus, not a good idea. 
I care about our relationship. You've done that for a friend, right? Hey, listen, that's not smart. Well, your friend Jesus doesn't stop there. He now unleashes chapters of a discourse to the religious of the time, embarrassing them. Could you imagine what you feel as a friend? Oh, Jesus, you don't, don't go here. This is not good. I feel for you as a friend. I think you're making some wrong decisions. And probably that tension was pretty high for, for those disciples and those who knew him, those friends. But you imagine then getting to the Passover feast, like a, a somewhat of a rest. All right, the crowds are over. But then Jesus starts to talk about a blood and a body and broken and raising in three days and one will betray. Could you imagine the confusion as friends? Like, oh man, Jesus, I know a good counselor in Jerusalem that we could get you to. I mean, really, think about that as a friend. You'd be going, he's getting a little crazy. I think from the, you know, the cleansing of the temple, the, the hype of coming into Jerusalem, something's not going right. You'd feel that as a friend, wouldn't you? You've, you've seen friends when they're not right. And then in the garden, imagine being one of them. Jesus coming back and you can just see the sweat. It says that he sweated blood, but you could just see the, the distress. It says, can't you stay awake? And probably feel it as a friend. Why is Jesus so intense right now? What's going on in him that's, that's so intense? And then he gets arrested. And could you imagine the shock? I'll never forget the time I was a young boy watching cartoons Saturday morning and the police came into our house and arrested my father. That, that would be scary. Seeing Jesus arrested in the garden and all that unfolded there would have been a horrible thing to watch as a friend gets arrested and taken captive. And then your friend is tortured, unjustly tried, and within 24 hours he's dead. See, I think... There are roads that we find ourselves trying to face this week of Christ, and there were three. There were fans, there were fighters, and there were friends, but all of those roads end up at the face of the cross, at the base of the cross. You have to answer for what happened. How does that fit, and what road am I on? Jesus begins to speak against or talk about this. He says in Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. He's saying there's two gates, there's two roads. And Jesus will, will make himself and say that I am the way. We'll see that in a moment. No matter how you got to Jerusalem, no matter how you've, you've tried to do life religiously, eventually you have to face the cross and what happened. There are no other ways to God. The world will say there are a lot of different ways, right? And we're so caught up in what everybody else is doing. We're a lot like fans, aren't we? Everybody's eating the McDonald's hamburgers. They serve billions, right? It's got to be good for you. This is broad. That means a lot of people are doing it, and it'll be popular, and it'll be the thing. But it says narrow is this road, and only a few find it. I mean, think about 30 years of a person's life being wasted on a road that only leads to destruction. That's what Hero found. I think many people today find themselves on roads that are leading nowhere. And actually, truth be told, they are leading somewhere to destruction. Jesus says you have to face 
who I am, and he'll say in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, all these roads, as they intersect literally into Jerusalem, it gets us in there to Passion Week and the week of Christ, and no matter what faith stream people come from, they have to answer for this person, Jesus Christ, did he live, did he die, and did he raise again? It all comes to this crossroads at the cross. And from there, there's a decision. You're either on a wide road or you're on a narrow one. One road leads to God. It's so interesting today hearing culture. Oh, you Christians are so elitist and so arrogant. You need to be tolerant of, of all the faiths and which saying, really, aren't there multiple ways to God? No, there's not. How could you be so arrogant? And the question I would have is, why can you be so arrogant that all roads lead there? It's your own form of religion. It's your own sense. And so to sit in a room with a Muslim and a Buddhist and a Hindu and argue out our faith and feel passionate about there is a right way, I don't have a problem with. I have a problem with, oh, everybody's fine. Friends, all the roads bring us to the cross. There is no other way to God. And God said, while we were yet sinners, he said, you know what? You don't have to, we, we work so hard to clean this up. We work so hard to make it right before God, but he says, while we were still sinning, no matter what road we're on, he died for us. Matthew 7, Jesus will go on and he'll talk about false teachers, but then he's gonna talk about false believers. Because it's one thing to say, okay, Troy, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm on the narrow road. How do you know? How, how do you know that? How do you, in your heart of hearts, know that you're not like Hero on an island, wasting your life on a cause that's worthless? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. We can know a lot about God. We can fight causes for God. We can be fans of God. We can even feel like we're friendly with God. I have a friend, this friend in town, he's, he's, he does some stuff for us, a vendor, he's not a believer. He says, I really love your church people. They're nice people. I think people can be fans and they, they can fight for causes, but they cannot know God. And I think that's a road of destruction. I think it's because they've not faced what does it mean to be on this narrow road? How do you know you're on it? Quite simply this morning, it's a question that I want you to answer because we, no matter how we get to Jerusalem in this Passion Week, have to face the reality of what have we done with this Jesus? What have we done with the cross and the resurrection in our lives? It's not about religion. And I've told you before, our city is filled with lots of great denominations. This is not denominational fault. There are different, different uh, theologies and perspectives about biblical interpretation, but friends, the truth is, it's about Jesus. But I find a lot of people could get religiously lost. Traveling down roads, punching religious cards, feeling like they're fighting for a right cause and they're on the wrong road. How do you know? How do you know? 
Peter, the disciple, will say this, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The word is really steps means to actually literally find the footprints that Jesus just left and step in them. And I would imagine over time, as you kind of got that gate that Jesus would leave, you would start to begin to become more comfortable and get easier. I heard a pastor say it this way, that when you begin to follow Jesus, it's like you learning your language in English. Most of us grew up learning the English language as our first language. It became natural. How many of you, though, began to learn a second language? Raise your hands. Who's learned a second language? So you'll get this. You start to learn a second language, and what do you have to do? It's back to... I have to retrain, I have to retrain how I'm saying this and what I'm saying. I have to translate. I have to translate words and, and pictures through a different way to speak. When you come to know Jesus and you begin to follow in his steps, you begin to take that exercise of rethinking about how he would say it, how he would live it, how he would do it, and eventually what starts to happen when you learn a second language. You know you've clicked when it becomes natural. Friends, you wanna know you're following Jesus? Are you following him? It says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is not about punching cards and how many times you go to church, it's are you following in the footsteps of Jesus with your entire life? Another passage, Mark 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. Deny your fandom. That's really nice. That's not what I'm looking for. Put down the fight. Your, your fight will be for yourself to place your feet in my feet. Your fight is going to be pushing back your own selfish independence and not die. That's what you're going to have to fight. You're going to fight yourself. He said, deny yourself, fight the good fight in yourselves and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save, and for the gospel will save it. This morning, you have to be a follower. When it comes down to figuring out what road you're on, and if you're on that narrow one, then getting that assurance that you're on that narrow road really is, are you following? And I can't measure that for you. And that's what's so actually very comforting for me as a pastor because I don't have to measure you. I don't have to, to scope you out on the, on the more right scale, what you believe, are there the right things about the Bible. I don't have to figure out who you are. I have to embrace whatever road you came into Jerusalem on and present the cross. And at one point, you have to decide what you do with the cross, not me. I don't do that for you. Some of you are fans, some of you are fighters, some of you are friends, but you're not followers. Are you a follower this morning? And when you follow Jesus, you know it because you can't get him out of your head because everything you do is about finding his step and finding that place where you're gonna put your foot. Doesn't matter, even when you're feeling anger, you're feeling being wronged, the temptation to sin, your question, that language that you have been working so hard to learn, that spiritual truth about Jesus, you're going, I wanna, I wanna follow his steps. I'm a follower. Doesn't matter what other people think. 
It's when you're alone and making those decisions that no one else will see. It's that drive. You know you're a follower when in the privateness of your own life, you're saying, no, I need to follow in the steps. I need to resist. In the midst of all the different things that go on in our world, you fight your own fight to be a follower. What road are you on this morning? Narrow? And if so, are you a follower? Because followers are on the narrow road, no, no one else. And that's why every week we're trying to push you and, and chisel back some of that stuff we learn is performing for God and trying to earn our way. It says, while we were yet sinners, it never says, while you finally cleaned up and are no longer sinners, then I would die for you. He says, while you were still sinning, I was still sinning. Friends, that's what it means to be a follower. And in that, we have this Passion Week, and so we're going to land on Easter morning, and friends, the place is going to be full. And my question to you is, if you're a follower, do you have passion for those roads that people are going to travel on? Do you have passion for people who are on all of these different paths? Are you like the student who goes and flies to an island off the Philippines? Are you crazy? And finds a a Japanese war soldier, guerrilla warfare expert, to say, it's over. The war's over. You're on the wrong road. I want you to watch this video because I think it's gonna, for, for us, lead us into our response time as we think about who are those people that will come to Jerusalem this week? same in your church, I promise. It'll be full. It'll be full of people like me, full of people who haven't been to church in a while, full of people who think they might be critiqued or analyzed or judged unfairly, full of people who don't have God in their lives and aren't exactly sure how to get him back. But you know what, before I step in, I need you. I need you to do something that's probably a big deal for you. You're gonna see me this week, and I need you not to walk past me, and I need you to work through your fear because I'm working through mine, and I just, I just need you to invite me in. And if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, Still, I need you to ask me to come. I need you to help me see God. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I need you more than you know. Because look, at the end of the day, God said he loved me enough to die for me. I mean, that is the claim, right? And if he died and he didn't stay dead, 
Your church is going to be full this Easter. Your church could be full this Easter of people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. I just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. And nothing driven by guilt. Just invite me in. I need you to. As we go to our response to communion, the question is, what road are you on? And if you're assured that you're that follower and you feel that sense of calling in your life, then what we just heard and watched just stirs you, doesn't it? Because you want to embrace, no matter what road people came to Jerusalem in, that come to face who Jesus is, you want to bring them. You want to welcome them. And friends, that's the call of Christ that we've been called to live. Follow him and go tell others about him. Go bring others. I want you, as you go to communion this morning, to ask yourself that question, what road are you on? Are you a follower? And then who is it that God's putting in your heart that's on a road that you know is leading to a wrong place that you can bring, that you can begin to embrace as God did something like that for you? Father, as we go to the cross and reminded with the the bread and the the juice, God, we're reminded again of this Passover meal that your sacrifice allowed death and the payment of sin to pass over us, that we might embrace a relationship with your Father. What a gift. May we be followers of Jesus to tell others about it in Jesus' name. Amen.